fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. All right, hello, welcome to another episode of Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We are the ones who do that. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Dan, it's great to be here again. As you know, I'm very excited. Vampires, vampires, vampires. My favorite thing. This is this is a Denon original. You wanted to do vampires, and Blade, I think, is a great show, a great movie to use for that example. Um, but let's get our quasi-vampire in on this, our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Uh, ben, it looks like you haven't got sun in a long time. How's quarantine holding up? Where are you broadcasting from this week? I'm here in the uh, Temple of Lamagra, and I'm finding out, you know, looking at all this great historical documents and figuring out what makes these guys tick. Well, I think that that's very important work because Lamagra, you don't want him coming back into town. He's a pretty dangerous individual. I did notice that, you know, we're all wearing black. That, what's going on there? Is this the Halloween thing or what happened? I think it's all I have to wear, Dan. Sorry. No, that's all right. Ben, you look good. I like it. Yeah, you got to be thematically appropriate for uh, such a dark but beautiful film. <laughs> right. That is true. It is dark but beautiful. So as again, I mentioned we're talking about Blade this week, and I think that this is... Then i got to give you a thumbs up on this one. This is a great scientific vampire movie. I really liked it. Of course, I've been enjoying what we do in the shadows, so I feel like some of those references are going to kind of sneak into this. Um, but but So Blade, really quickly, is about a half-human, half-vampire, vampire hunter, if I'm saying that correctly, who kind of goes out to hunt vampires. But the rules in this are, are pretty standard. You know, they, they deviate a little bit from Bram Stoker's Dracula, the original vampire. But I think we're pretty good here. Um, what did you think? Uh, Denon, let me ask you first. Why did you pick this movie? Is it because of the great scientific uh, advancements in it? Yeah, definitely. This one is about the science. They actually have, I think, some of the most interesting explanations of vampirism and how you may or may not cure it, complete with two different types of ways to become a vampire by birth or by being bitten. Love that. Yeah, I think that that's, that's the key thing here. So I want to start off with that. So we're talking about, we've got to get the, the biology right on this. We're talking about the Humulus Nocturna, and that is the vampire. And, and again, how to create them. I got to tell you guys, this was the most confusing part to me. This is always what's kind of confused me in vampire lore. Because creating a new vampire, well, this adds a couple other dimensions. But traditionally, it's draining a body of blood. Sometimes they just die. Sometimes they turn into some kind of weird zombie. And other times they turn into a full-fledged vampire. I've always found that to be very confusing for me. Reproduction in this particular scientific biological organism is very odd. I don't know what you guys thought. I agree with you, Dan. It's usually very odd, um, particularly this issue of what triggers vampire versus just dead. And that's an important distinction. For most people. I would agree. The most the most important distinction, I think. Now, in this case, what I like is they actually refer to, the doctor refers to this being a retrovirus at one point. And so we actually can think of it as an infection, which gives us a little more insight. Because as we know, not every time you get infected by a virus does it actually make you sick. Sometimes your body rejects it. And you could imagine that the vampires in this world control whether they just bite and drink you or bite and inject you with the virus. And it keeps it, I think, kind of clean and simple. 
No, I like that. And also to go with the, the virus aspect, there is a point where um, one of the, the female uh, lead who's, who's following Blade around, she gets bitten and then is injected with a mixture of, of garlic, essence of garlic to kind of hold off the infection. Uh, so I really like that. Uh, ben, what did you think about reproduction in this? It's interesting because traditionally vampires are totally dead and they can't reproduce sexually or live in normal ways that humans do. They And they normally can't turn humans to vampires without that full drain and sometimes even a ritual where they have to then feed you their own blood, bury you in the ground like in True Blood or you know some other versions that we see in other films. So I thought it was really interesting that in this movie it was really treated more like an infection where anyone can really get turned. And if you maybe even if you get bit by a vampire that doesn't have good control over their, um, their injection of the virus, uh, maybe everyone they bite becomes a vampire even if they don't want to. Right. You know, and, and what we do in the shadows has a funny thing about this, because this movie also has familiars, which are creatures that follow vampires around, basically humans that follow them around who want to get turned and are trying to convince the vampires to turn them by doing all, but basically being their, their assistant, I guess, or servant, I guess, you know, and, and in what we do in the shadows, the female vampire bites, you know, this, this girl that's following her around, but after like a month or two and accidentally turns her into a vampire where the familiar who's kind of part of the whole main cast has been, you know, working on it for decades and he still hasn't turned him. So there's this accidental, you know, the, the, I like what you've said that this ability to accidentally turn or to not have a hundred percent control. I think that's really interesting in the vampire world, but one of the, you know, kind of the trick that, that blade introduces as a part of the storyline are two things. Number one, this ability to reproduce sexually. That's a little strange to me, uh, just from the a DNA, like a vampire biology standpoint, but I like that. But also, Blade himself, he is kind of like a quasi third, but not really, because he is turned in utero. His mother is bitten, and he kind of, I guess, inherits the, the vampire infection, the virus, and becomes a quasi human vampire hybrid that I'm, I'm guessing is not possible. And I'm bringing that up because that would imply that interspecial reproduction, a vampire and a human, is actually not possible from a sexual reproduction standpoint. I found that to be interesting. What do you guys think? I really like that, Dan. There's a lot there that you mentioned to unpack. I'm going to say a couple of things, hopefully quickly. One is what I like about this model is you always wonder who the first vampire was. Now, it could have been a curse from mm. the devil or Satan, but this makes it an evolutionary step. Okay? And they evolve. It also means if you're bitten, you may or may not actually be um, reproductively active. You might be sterile, just like, say, a mule is. So it could be an interesting way to keep the true blood vampires away from those, you know, iffy vampires who were just turned. And then the third right. piece is what happens to Blade. Obviously, his DNA is not being changed because he was already formed. He's already, you know, a fetus in the in the womb, but he's getting some of the infection. And that could be why it's a partial turn because of the placenta and the other things maybe protecting him from some of those negative effects. Because he does have most vampire abilities 
But he's not hurt by the sun. Well, and also, if it's a virus, then if it's a retrovirus, uh, you know, a genetically altering virus, which if you're getting turned from a human to a vampire would indicate that's probably the case, then if you're in utero, then that virus has the ability to change part of the genetics at that point while still quasi-forming, because I don't know how far along Blade was, but I imagine pretty close to full term. So that's interesting. But also, I got to mention something, Denon. You said a true blood vampire, and I want to correct you. You mean a pure blood vampire and I say that importantly because Ben is bringing up some true blood which is a different TV show some of the references in there and I want to be sure we keep it separate we got to be very accurate here Dan. I, I, I agree I agree Dan that's why you're the analytical mastermind you analyzed what I said and corrected it I like that <laughs> I'm sure that you do <laughs> Ben what did you think about this yeah so one there, there's a lot of scenarios here and I'm and it's 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 something to think about is how can blade have say, half the vampire attributes where a bitten person gets them all and a, and a pure blood also gets them all. And I'm wondering if it has to do with, with him inheriting things from his mother's blood, but never actually having a full infection in him. So when he was infected through his mother, he got not only some of the virus, but maybe also some of the antibodies. And because of that, the virus wasn't able to infect his entire cellular structure so it didn't change his skin, for example, which would cause him, which would make him sensitive to the sun. And so perhaps that is why he is only affected with the powers that would like kind of be in your blood versus a, a full vampire who, you know, they're getting it through their genes because the uh, vampire virus in that initial infection gets everywhere, including like your gametes so that your, your offspring are also uh, vampires. Ben, I like what you said there, and I want to go off this because ultraviolet light, let's pop right into what harms a vampire, because I think this is really cool, and there's a connection to human skin. I've been very fascinated with pigmentation in the animal kingdom, because pigmentation happens for very specific reasons. Skin pigmentation, I think, is, an, is one of the most advantageous adaptations human beings have. In the places in places in the world where there was an incredible amount of sun, lots of sun, which is very harmful to vampires, in those places, an increased amount of melanin was produced in skin, which gives skin a very dark color. This is a natural skin protectant, and I believe, since Blade is African American, I believe his skin is is part of the crucial reason why he's protected from the sun. And vampires who have very pale skin, very pale skin developed in places where you needed more sun. So you didn't want to keep it out. You needed more sun to, to produce this vitamin D. I don't know if there's a connection here, but vampires are very pale. Blade is not. He's the only vampire that seems to be able to walk around in the sun. Is there some connection? What do you think about that, Denon? Definitely, Dan. I think there's a very strong connection. You're on the right direction here. It's clearly the starting point. I think there's one additional layer on top of the natural protection from UV. I've always felt that perhaps, in addition, vampires have a chemical in their skin that's at the right energy levels. When UV hits it, it actually oxidizes in flames. So it goes one step beyond sunburning. So whether or not Blade is purely just protected from the UV and it's counteracting that chemical, or he's also missing what I would call the flaming chemical, unclear from the movie. Clearly, the melanin is a starting point of all of this, and I think you're really on to something fundamental there. And, and there are UVA and UVB rays, which are which are two different forms of ultraviolet. And I don't know if there's a distinction there that plays a role as well. But I don't know. What do you think, Ben? It's certainly possible that only one of the types of UV 
uh, actually affects the vampires. Although I don't know if that would have much to do with the skin tone. I am curious though, since they seem so so surprised by Daywalker. Like, have they never bitten any other African Americans? Like, we know his mom uh, is also African American. Like, can she go out in the sun? I'd be curious to know that. <laughs> It's an interesting point because she is the only African-American vampire in Blade that we see, and she lives in a strange coffin bed that right. <laughs> opens up and goes into the yeah, wall. Yeah, we don't know. So we don't know. That's an interesting point because I don't think, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't think there are any other ones. Well, I would say we don't know, but we also, it could also be that they're just too scared to find out. Maybe maybe every uh, person, mm. you know, every vampire of color can actually go outside and they just don't know because they're too scared to try. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, if, you, if you're wrong, it's uh, pretty devastating. It is pretty bad. I, I do think it is a little bit more than just the protection from the sun. There is, of course, though, I think I could be wrong. I think this is the only movie where they successfully use sunscreen to stay outside for a little bit. I thought that was very clever because it really gets at the idea that it's mostly about blocking the UV rays. And this was the first movie I saw where they really focused on the UV and actually weaponizing it, which explains a mystery I've always had, which is which part of the sun is bad because there's lights in everybody's house. So, you know, it it has to be something that's not a wavelength that the normal light admits. I think that that's interesting. I mean, they do weaponize it with that flashlight, which I think is a UV flashlight. I'm not yes. sure. Um, but And I have seen other movies where they have taken, and I think I think they do this in Preacher as well, where they do have umbrellas and, and skin, you know, like um, a sunscreen. You know, um, they make jokes about it being like 100, you know, SPF or whatever, which doesn't really matter. But but I, so I, th- I have seen it before, but the, the motorcycle, motorcycle helmet was very new. Um, so there are a couple other ways. So that's kind of like the, the natural way to, to kill. I mean, the natural meaning the sunlight exists all the time. But there's a couple other cool things that they used in here. They have vampire mace, which is silver nitrate and essence of garlic. They've got silver bullets. Uh, they've got steaks made out of silver. They use Silver and garlic seem to be the key things that will really harm a vampire. And I want to start with, with, with silver because what's kind of interesting about silver is that most people, when, when they have an allergic reaction to silver, Silver. It's not the silver they're allergic to, it's the nickel. And and I thought that that was kind of interesting. Um, while silver does have some pretty interesting properties, I thought it was kind of interesting that silver was the case. What did you guys think? So I do like silver being involved. What's interesting to me is how I think from um, Dracula, we don't think of silver as vampires. We tend to associate it with werewolves. But if you do your research, you find out how many vampires really in lore are killed by silver or hurt by silver. It's very, very common. So in this one case, Dracula is kind of the exception. And I do think it's some level of chemical reaction between the silver and properties inside the vampire. Now, what exactly that is, there's lots of different ways we could go with it. But I think that's the starting point is even though silver is traditionally considered non-reactive, I think there's something going on that's chemical in this case. It's interesting that silver is usually considered non-reactive, although silver does often compound with a lot of things. So it, while it's it's generally considered safe, it's certainly capable of making a lot of reactions. Well, it has the highest electricity and thermal conductivity of all the metals, which I think is interesting. And it has natural antibacterial properties, which I find interesting. But I think the key to this... And they mentioned silver nitrate, but I think silver nitrate is the key to this because silver nitrate is lethal in certain uh, concentrations. It's highly caustic. We mentioned in our predator episode that it's used to cauterize wounds. 
Uh, it's considered a, a silver salt, and it, it, it's, it has antiseptic properties. And there's, in 1827, there's a, a noted Briton, John Abbott, used, used silver nitrate on a dog bite to prevent rabies. So this is specifically a viral infection that you could say is pretty similar to vampirism. I found that to be very interesting. So I think silver nitrate might be the key to this. I like that as a key, Dan, and I like the idea of things that end up burning. I, I think there's something happens when the silver enters into the vampire, probably reacting with the blood, that either itself just creates a massive exothermic reaction, which is heat releasing, and that just burns the vampire from the inside, or catalyzes some other reaction inside the vampire that kills it. Maybe, as you said, being antiviral and wiping out the viruses. Well, I will say one other thing here. Silver nitrate is used to make silver halide, which is used in photography. It's the photosensitive part of photography. And, and some of these, these old things, are, they're highly explosive. I mean, so, so the, the, the cellulose is actually what is explosive in old film. But the sensitive to light thing, I found that to be very interesting as well. I don't know if there's any, any, any connection, but I found it to be pretty interesting. Um, but, but let's talk about garlic next, because garlic is obviously... When you're talking about vampires, garlic's what you go to first. I know from permaculture, uh, from from a natural from a natural path, uh, from a natural path as aspect, this keeps pests away. You put garlic around the bottom of your plants, and this kind of keeps it's a natural insecticide. Uh, there are people who are allergic to it, which I think is what what they allude to here. But but I think the, the garlic, there's a lot of real serious properties of this that I think are advantageous against vampires. Yeah, so garlic has a lot of interesting chemical components. It's obviously a very strong thing, and that's why we like it for its flavoring. So it's certainly possible that this uh, vampirism, uh, kind of like the red star ticks in Texas that make you allergic to meat, maybe the vampire disease makes you deathly allergic to garlic. And so part of being infected by a vampire, you also end up with this horrible garlic allergy that puts you into you know anaphylaxis and kills you. That's really interesting. I didn't think about that. I'd never heard of that tick thing about being allergic to meat. That's crazy. I'm going to have to look that up and put a link on, on the website. I know that garlic can burn the skin. I mean, it's used as a naturopathic uh, treatment for acne as well, um, which which uh, that was kind of interesting. Now, here's something you guys may like. Garlic may reduce platelet aggregation, which is the platelets adhering to a site of an injury, which is what stops bleeding. This is why anticoagulants are cautioned are, are cautioned not to use them while you're taking garlic, especially as a supplement. This may have some effects later on when we talk about anticoagulants. What do you think about that, Ben? I know you're into anticoagulants. So it's interesting because we see these anticoagulants in the movie as well that cause vampires to just bubble up and do all sorts of horrible things. So it makes me wonder, like, what, what does your blood flowing better or, well, at least faster, why is that a problem for vampires? And it's easy when you think about the vampires are dead solution in a lot of other films where if you all of a sudden make their blood flow and they're not used to that, well, that's a problem. But I think blade vampires have a normal circulatory system like us. They're, they seem to be kind of just alive like we are. So I'm guessing there's something else in their blood that the anticoagulant is, again, maybe an, an allergy response that causes this problem. I did have a thought, Dan, and Ben, you might be curious to respond to this. I'm wondering if part of what the virus does is just weaken your blood vessels significantly. And so that vampires actually have lots of little micro leaks that they have extra coag coagulants in their blood to seal up. 
And so the garlic or the anticoagulant is making those go away. That's why you're seeing them bloat up. It's partly anaphylactic shock and that. But what it really is is the body filling up with blood and expanding. I think that's a great. Uh, that's great. Wow, that's <laughs> that's really interesting. That and that's that also explains why they always need to drink blood. It's really giving themselves transfusions because they're always internally bleeding. <laughs> I mean, and it's interesting because in the movie they also explain that their blood cell structure, the red blood cells, are also very different. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's something definitely there with this. Yeah, I, and I, I did like that Ben solved the other problem of why are they drinking blood. See, my leaking idea covers so many aspects of the vampire biology. <laughs> I'm impressed with myself. You yeah. should be. That's a good one. I love that one. That's that's great. And and I think that the anticoagulant is, if I'm, unless I'm incorrect here, uh, my horror movie, it's, it's I'm, I'm, in, I'm an intermediate horror movie expert, but I can't think of another vampire movie where they used anticoagulants as a way to destroy a, a vampire. I can't think of it either. And it's another one for science, Dan. Go science. That's all I can say. It may just be that all these other vampire movies needed a hematologist on their team. I think it's true. This is also the first movie I've ever seen with a hematologist. As a matter of fact, it's the only Hollywood uh, release that I've ever seen with a hematologist as a main character, which I thought was also very cool. Uh, so I think we've got a lot of the aspects of the vampire. I think it's time for our errors, additions, and omissions section, guys. Things we want to talk about, but we're not going to. But occasionally we do. Ben, did you have anything about uh, Blade? Well, I do just want to correct something I said earlier where uh, Blade might have gone antibodies from his mother now traditionally antibodies can't cross the uh, placental barrier but perhaps the infection allowed causes damage there maybe through this leaky uh, blood thing that Denon just mentioned and that's how he was able to get some of those antibodies across that barrier which you normally can't well, I would say that Denon's leaky blood vessel, uh, this is a paradigm-shifting concept. Ben really has to rethink everything that he said. I know that I do. We may have to do the whole episode over or have an update. But besides that, Denon, did you have anything else that we missed? Well, as much as I loved the movie, I just was slightly disappointed that in a world where silver hurts vampires, his sword is titanium. I, I just, you know, that was just... I'm like, why? But but that being said, and, and I think I'll let you augment on it, it really gets overlooked as a Marvel first of so many firsts that other movies get credited for. And and I, always a little disappointing that, you know, Wesley doesn't get his due with this movie. No, I, I really enjoyed this movie when it came out. It, it You know, it's funny. It doesn't age very well. The CGI is, this is definitely the early days of CGI, and there's some silly parts in it. But I think as far as a vampire movie, especially a scientific vampire movie goes, not to mention being one of the first Marvel movies, if not the first, I'm not 100% sure, but this was definitely one of the first. This is, this is a great, often forgotten movie and I agree with you on that. Uh, one other thing I said red star tick it's actually a lone star tick that causes the meat allergy so don't want you looking up the wrong things there friends. The, a wonderful work that's a quick in episode correction definitely belongs in this section thank you Ben. A couple things I wanted to mention here. Uh, this is kind of an anti-religious movie, which I thought was weird. Uh, the crosses don't work, and, and a technical serum science to kills a god in this, which I thought was were kind of interesting themes. Um, there's a motorcycle in the building, uh, on top of a building at the end of the movie. I, I don't even know how it got there. Were, are you bringing it up the elevator? Are you flying it in? I don't really understand that. That was very strange. 
Uh, the bed, the future, futuristic coffin that Blade's mom sleeps in is kind of cool. It's a really cool space age coffin, I think, even though I think it's just a bed that exists all the time. I did find it very surprising that his mom sells him out. In the end, it's still his mom. That was very, uh, very interesting to me. And the one thing that's really cool in here, Denon, I am shocked you didn't mention this, and I feel like I'm taking something away from you, and I don't know why I feel kind of good about that almost giddy, but there's explosive foam in this movie. There's a foam that they put on the wall to blow through um, to blow through one of the, the hidden places. Uh, Batman uses similar stuff than that. Did you remember this, Denon? How could you possibly miss this? Well, you know, I, I much prefer my foam stopping explosions than causing them, so I think I was just kind of mentally going the other way. You are, a, you are a superhero, not a supervillain, as we talk about at the end of every episode. That is for sure. Two other quick things. I'm going to put these links on the website about blood. Uh, the ultra-rich are using blood to rejuvenate themselves for, with transfusions. There's some very strange experiments going on with this. Um, but at least they're not bathing in it like Elizabeth Bathory. And if you don't know who that is, you should look her up. She is the most prolific female serial killer of all time. Uh, very interesting stuff there. And a man was caught stealing $600 worth of cat blood is he a secret vampire we see all these movies where people are going to these blood banks and stealing blood for some odd reason this is actually one in real life is he a real vampire we will find out i'll put a link on the website as well but if i missed anything else i, I that was a very long errors additions and omissions section for me i can't possibly imagine that i missed anything but if i did you can get in touch with us we are on twitter at f triple g bt pod on facebook at f triple g bt but you can get in touch with us individually denon where can people find you? Well, you can find me at Twitter. I'm Denon Michael. I'm also that on Instagram. Just switch my name. And then on Facebook, I'm at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at BSeepser. How do you spell that? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And of course, I'm on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn. So this was a great episode. I think we really nailed vampires. I mean, vampires are a very a varied species. There are several others, but I think we got some of the broad strokes, and Blade is a great scientific example. But we told you a lot of dangerous stuff in here. You want to be careful with this information. Be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like this show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. That's ftriplegbt.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page. Links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode there you can find the show in its entirety you can find the links that we talked about the in real life examples that we brought to you including videos and of course we've got each episode has its own youtube video you can watch it there if you prefer and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening